Mr. Tracks. Hey, back back. We are back. Uh, episode lucky 13. <laughs> lucky 13. Lucky 13. Absolutely. Lucky yeah, we're going to we're going to start off tonight with um, our topic is going to start with an observation that 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 happened uh, this past weekend while I was up in Chicago. And it kind of leads into our topic. Well, Wayne, here's here's the deal. Uh, last uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, went up to Chicago for a fraternity meet. Uh, there was an initiation of uh, new members. That's a two-day process. And then we have a regional meeting in which uh, the Kappas from Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota meet and basically do business. Well, first couple days is pretty lax, you know, because we're kind of getting uh, new members, getting ready to become, I mean, new guys getting ready to become members of the fraternity. So those two days are pretty lax. And then the next two days, that's Wednesday and Thursday, and then Friday and Saturday, it's more business meetings and so on. The new members, you know, they get to wear their red blazers and white shirts and black black plants and ties and so on. But, you know, we're looking pretty dapper, you know, as members of Cap Alpha Psi fraternity. And so that was that was uh, Friday. Saturday, here's the deal. Saturday, we were getting ready to go to our um, closing banquet. Just getting on the elevator. I was staying at the Palmer House, the famous Palmer House in Chicago. And um, at the same time that I was getting ready to get on the elevator, there's this young, young girl. There's like a volleyball tournament or something going on also. So there's, you know, parents and kids are all over the place. So we get to the elevator at the same time. The elevator doors open. She sits. She stands still. I go into the elevator, ride the elevator down to street level and then. Two minutes later, this young girl rides the elevator down to the street level. So my thoughts were like, why in the hell did she want to ride the elevator with me? Now, here I am. I'm in a tuxedo, getting ready to go to a business meeting. And they got all these, there's 200, almost 300 members of the fraternity that are there. We're all in tuxedos getting ready to go to this banquet. And then this incident happens. And, you know, it just made me think like, when is this stuff going to end? Here I am, almost 63 years old, and there's somebody that's afraid of the black man getting ready to get into the elevator. So that made me think, you know, as we go, as we kind of uh, move forward, I thought this would be a topic that we want to touch, touch on. You know, we've been pretty, pretty standard with our topics and so on. So tonight we want to talk, touch on things that have experienced in our lives where we've come across, you know, either prejudice or racism and or both. And, you know, we we always had to deal with issues growing up. So, you know, your side of the track, my side of the track. So I thought that would be a topic that we can uh, talk about tonight. And so what I want to do is just um, let's start with you thinking about uh, go ahead and see if you can explain any incidents or situations that you've been in where you felt that, you know, people are the community or citizens are viewing you as a threat or viewing you as someone that uh, 
that's different that they want to look down upon and or so on. You know, just experiencing racism and or prejudice of some sort. Sure, sure. So in, in the bottom, and 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 I'll 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 start there, and then I'll I'll morph into um, a couple other scenarios, but. When, what I remember growing up as a kid in the bottom was um, there were a lot of I wouldn't say a lot there were there were a, a mixed bag of people living in the bottom so there were white families living in the bottom or uh, up on Dixie Highway that type of thing before you started going onto the hill there were white families that lived there there were white families that lived on the hill and from what I remember as, as a kid growing up there I, I I have to say I don't remember. Uh, anyone directly discriminating against me growing up there as a kid. Now, granted, we we mentioned in one of the episodes, uh, we grew up during the time that black folks had to go into the side door of the state theater. We had to sit upstairs on the balcony. Uh, we, we were not allowed down in the auditorium area. All our snack stuff and everything was upstairs. And I think it was, gosh, I was probably in junior high uh, maybe maybe freshman year of high school uh, before we could actually sit down in the auditorium at the state theater. So um, the white families that grew up around us in the bottom, and there was a couple that come to mind. Uh, there were um, the Rigdons who lived uh, in proximity to us. And I see Alvin every now and then when I uh, go home, he'll, he'll be over in the bottom close by my mom's house and I'll catch up with him. Uh, but, you know, no issues per se. Uh, now, I did say he, he he broke into our house one time when we were at church. We came home and the house was broken into. And come to find out, you know, Al had broke into the house. Didn't take anything, but they broke in the house. And several years later, he apologized to my mom for breaking into the house. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was just I thought that was pretty funny. But uh, and then you had the Cundiffs. It was mm-hmm. Sammy Cundiff uh, and Herman Cundiff. And there's a funny story about by Herman Cundiff. He was the guy that rode around in E-Town. He had a, a rack on the top of his car. <laughs> yeah. He had this dog and yeah. rack on the top of the car. And he drove her all over E-Town with this dog and the rack on top of the car. I mean, everybody thought like, what the hell is going on? I mean, this and that dog, dog never fell off. There, chilling in the rack. And he's riding all over town, you know, but, um, and then there were white families on the hill that lived amongst black folks. And I, I don't remember I don't remember a lot of issues where where there were prejudicial acts or, you know, people felt that they were being discriminated again because I think we were all in the same boat. You know, we, we didn't have a lot, but what we had was good enough. We were happy in that, what we had. And uh, you know, we talked about Hawkins grocery in a lot of episodes. Hawkins Grocery served everybody, black, white, green. They didn't care. Uh, They were the community store. So they served everybody of of every hue. Now, um, as I moved away from E-Town and came back, uh, there was an incident that happened. And um, it was during the time, uh, gosh, I was probably back in the 90s, I think maybe late 90s, early 2000s. My wife's dad had passed. There And we were all there on Hawkins Drive at her mom's house after the funeral and everything. And, you know, people get together after the funeral, you eat and whatnot. And so the eating had been finished and everybody was just, you know, relaxing, you know, talking about different things that went on that day. And so a lot of the nieces and nephews, they were younger then. So I said, you know, let's let's walk down to the to the school, which was Valley View School. 
they had a playground down there and they had basketball court. So we had a ball and we walked down and we were going to go let the kids play on the playground and, and shoot some hoops down there at the school. We get down to the school and you could tell that the court had been uh, re um, asphalted. They had re put down new asphalt on it. And the tape was down that went around the court, which lets you know that, hey, the court's dry. You can play on it. So we started shooting hoops on, on, on the basket, myself and a couple of my nephews and some of the other kids were playing on the playground equipment. Well, not too long after we had been there, police cars roll up. And I'm like, man, I wonder what, what the police are doing here. Police cars roll up and they get out and they walk over and they're like, um, yeah, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm, I'm here with, with my nieces and nephew. We're playing ball. I mean, he said, well, we got to report a vandalism. And I'm thinking, vandalism? So, yeah, we got a call uh, about somebody vandalizing the court. And right across the street, uh, this lady was sitting on a porch, older white lady was sitting on a porch. She gets up and goes into the house, which right away, like, uh, you were probably the one they called. And so two police cars roll up on me and all these little kids thinking we had vandalized the basketball court and the playground equipment at Valley View School. Not too long after that, Doug Barnes rolls up. And at the time, I think he is the superintendent of E-Town City Schools or something of that nature. He had a role in there. So he rolls up and he recognizes me and says, well, Wayne, what's what's going on? I'm, I said, hey, there's some, these guys are saying we're vandalizing the, the, the park here. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. He's like, well, I'm really sorry about this and everything. So the cops leave. And he's steadily apologizing and everything. But I'm like, um, this is crazy, you know, that someone would call the police on us out here doing nothing but having fun and playing ball and, and, and say that we're vandalizing something. I mean, that that just really ticked me off. So and I again, I, I had, you know, never experienced anything like that, never had any run ins with the cops whatsoever. So um, that just really boggled my mind that, you know, you're going to call the police on on somebody for doing nothing. So that that was one of the instances that I had there in E-Town that that's still fresh in my mind. As I moved away and we currently live in Colorado, two incidents can come to mind, two incidents come to mind. And uh, we were hosting a send off party for new kids going to freshman students going to the University of Denver. And so this particular Saturday, we were hosting the party. Representatives from the school had come down to be here so the parents could talk to them and whatnot. And so I was downstairs with some of the parents meeting and greeting them. And my wife was upstairs preparing, you know, finger foods and that type of stuff uh, for the event. So I hear the doorbell ring. I go upstairs because she's busy. I go upstairs. I answer the door. It's this white gentleman and his wife. And their kid, the mom and the daughter, come on in. We we meet and greet us. How you doing? You know, welcome, blah, blah, blah. They come in. The dad is still standing at the door. And out of his mouth, he has the nerve to ask me, do you live here? <laughs> I mean, it totally caught me by surprise. Like, do you live here? And I'm like, I wanted to say, what do you think? You know, I mean, just stupid. You know, like this this house is too nice for for you to be living in. That was that was the way it came across. So I, I just blew him off and I said, hey, the, the parents are downstairs. You're welcome to go downstairs and, you know, go down around, go down the stairs. The other parents are down there. So I tell my wife what happened. She's like, what? I said, yeah. 
out of the blue, he asked, do I live here? So I go downstairs. A few minutes later, the doorbell rings again. This time, my wife answers the door. Another family. Same scenario. The mom and dad come in. The dad asks my wife, do you live here? <laughs> I mean, just, I mean, twice in one day. And, and, and that's the kind of stuff that it irritates you because, like you say, we're 60-something years old. When is this foolishness going to end? I, 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 I don't know. My mother-in-law was, was very, um, you know, she was from the South. And she had grew up in the Jim Crow era, just like, you know, my mom and, and, and parent, my dad did grew up in the Jim Crow era segregation. And my mother-in-law said, you know, she said, I don't think this mess is ever going to end. There's always going to be somebody who thinks they are better than you because of the hue of your skin. Right. And so that event that we were trying to host for these kids, it was dampened because two people felt that you must not be able one to afford to live in a house that's this nice when i'm thinking like this is this is a this is an average house this this is not a 40 room mansion or anything but you know you have to make a statement to me you're coming into my house and you're going to make a dumb statement like that to me that do you really live here you know uh, so um it, it just took us aback and it put a serious damper on the day uh, for this event that we we're trying to do for the for the kids that were going off. So those are some things that come to mind for me. Again, I don't remember a lot of things in E-Town growing up because I think we were all in the same boat. You know, we were all in the same boat. We went to school together. We played with each other at school, after school. Um, so I, I just didn't experience that. I, I just nothing comes to mind. Of growing up um, during the time that I was there in E-Town, nothing comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a few things that happened in E-Town that, you know, I can say that, uh, you know, I witnessed or been um, alleged to be a part of, you know. And a couple things is that one of the biggest issues, of course, when we got to E-Town Senior High School, well, no, I, I probably go back to T.K. Stone. And it wasn't, it was frowned upon for the black guys to date the white girls. And, you know, and it's always going to happen. You know, we're just getting through the civil rights movement and stuff like that. And several of our friends, uh, including myself, you know, we would date some of the white girls. And the, and the white guys didn't like it at all. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> they did not like that at all. And, you know, it had, you know, there's a few times that it, it come to blows, you know, over things uh, like that. And some of the teachers, you know, they were pretty cool. And every now and then they would, you know, get a little bit upset, you know, because, you know, if you remember between classes, we would always hang out in the hallways. Yep. We'd always lean against the lockers and so yep. on. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, one time it was myself and Norman, Mark. Jerry and Curtis Wright and um, CR and Coach Fensel came to us and kind of jumped us and pulled us into a room, you know, and said, come on in here, boys. want to uh, tell you something because I don't care what you guys are doing, but you can't be looking at these girls. And they're like, <laughs> looking at the girls – what do you expect us to do? We're going to be looking at the girls. I mean, you know, we're 
16, 17 years old. And um, one of them, I think it was, I think it was Coach Rollins said that, you know, it says this in the Bible that you're not supposed to be mixing races and so on. And then Norman went off. <laughs> Norman, Norman says, where in the Bible does it say that? <laughs> and so, and, and they literally told us, and I never forget it, and says, if we catch you guys doing this again, we're going to open up the school doors. We're going to let you out and you're never coming back. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Right there. It was uh, where Mrs. Fance's room, one of those yeah. little rooms right there. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm like, yeah, what? Wow. Like, wow. I mean, I, I, I can't believe, especially coming from, I mean, Coach Vince was, was there and Coach Vince was always a stand up guy, you know. Right, right. He didn't say very much, but Coach Rollins was doing most of the talking. So that was kind of a shocker, also. The other thing is that we were, um, I think it's my sophomore year playing football and, you know, we had a freshman class. Our, our, our class was pretty good, pretty athletic and everything. And there were some issues between myself, Ken Howard and Jim Blair. Well, what had happened is that I was going to take Ken Howard's starting position. He was a senior. I was a sophomore. He didn't like that at all, you know, and Big Jim was, you know, he was like, man, you can't be taking this. You Who do you think you are? Blah, blah, blah. And literally, we almost got into a fight. You know, Blair was. Yeah, he was. He was a 300 pounder yeah. before there were 300 pounders. Yeah. And so he got upset. He got mad that I was going to start in front of Ken Howard. And Ken was a senior and I was a sophomore. And so that was an issue that was pretty intense between the sophomore class and the senior class because, you know, in our in our sophomore class, you had myself, we had Jerry, you had Norman, you had Mark Bradley, we had, uh, you know, all these athletes, you know, and so we were, you know, pretty athletic group of kids. And so right. that was an issue in E-Town as well. But those were minor things. But when I got out into the world, you know, when I was in the Coast Guard, very minor things, very, very minor, you know, um, because, you know, the, the military is integrated, of course. It had been integrated since 1948 when President Truman did that. But there were hardly any issues there. Moved to Greenwood, uh, moved to Indianapolis, and one of the first things that really pissed me off that I was at an Ace Hardware and, you know, it was about the same time that we started using debit cards and, you know, writing checks and so on. So I'm about the fifth person in line getting ready to check out and everybody had gone through the checkout and the cashier, I mean, I'm watching everybody they throw a debit card out there, write a check, throw a debit card out there, write a check. It's up to me and I'm going to use a debit car. And the lady goes, I need to see your ID. And I said, why do you need to see my ID? She goes, well, uh, it's for your protection. I said, well, you didn't ask those other five people in front of me for their ID when they use checks or debit cards. So why are you going to do this with me? 
She goes, well, sir, it's, it's just to, to protect you. I said, hell, I don't need protecting. I said, where's the, where's the manager at? And so she goes, well, uh, well, he's, he's, I said, well, I want to talk to the manager. And I basically said, there were five people in front of me. They all use either debit card or check. And not one of those people had their ID checked. But when I get up to the register, suddenly they want to check my ID. Suddenly they want to look at all these papers and see if my name's on there. I said, that crap is not right. You know, so that just kind of, you know, ticked tick me off, man. You know, it's it's the, one of those things that you see it happening and what do you do? You go, really? Really? Is this really going to happen again? Yeah. You know, so throughout our lives, you know, a lot of people don't realize and and it seems like black folks have a chip on their shoulders. Well, black folks really don't have a chip on our on their shoulders, shoulders, you know, We've always had to deal with these issues, you know, and um, some white folks have not had to deal with those issues or they just don't think about those issues because it's not part of their part of their culture. You know, growing up, you know, you've heard about the talk. Yeah. You know, I, I said this in my history class one time we were talking about civil rights. I said, I had to give the talk to my son. They go, Mr. Johnson, what's what's the talk? I said, you've never heard of the talk? Well, no, what's the talk? I said, nearly every black family knows about the talk. They go, well, what is it? I says, well, my son's driving now. He's in it. He's if he's ever pulled over by the police, there's specific protocol that you must do. Yep. In order to save your life, in order to save the people's lives who are riding with you, or if you're in the passenger of a car, these are things that you must do. And don't take this for granted. So when I'm talking to you, and I you know, told Alex, I said, look at me when I'm talking to you. This is serious. You know, if you're ever pulled over, make no sudden moves. Keep your hands on the steering wheel and only move. Don't make any sudden moves. Only when the officer tells you. Don't be belligerent. Make sure that you say yes or no or yes, sir, or no, sir, or no, no, ma'am, or whatever, whoever the officer is. And don't give them an excuse to do something that will violate your life, your civil rights, and so on. That's just how it is. Yep. You know? And so and he's kind of grown up with that. And I started having a talk with, with him at an early age. You know, when he was in kindergarten, I said, there's going to be somebody at your school that's going to call you the N-word. And you're going to have to make a decision. I told him, said, the word is not something that you want to be called. And if it becomes something that you have to fight, you fight. Because uh, it is, it's belittling you, your family, your grandparents, everybody, all your ancestors. That's the word that you don't want to use. That's the word that you will not let somebody call you ready to defend yourself when that happens. And it was about first grade. He was at the Y after school and someone called him. Then he ended up scrapping, <laughs> you know, as a first grader. You know, now oh. later, later on, this kid that called him that, they became friends and never used that word again, I guess, 
you have to just after being scrapped a little bit, you know, that's just how that's just how he's taught. And we taught him that way. And, you know, you're not supposed to raise your kids to be violent. But when things like that happen, you got to stand up for yourself or you don't get run over. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you 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 were mentioning you know the military and, and and the military has always been an institution that you know never looked at color or whatnot. It's it's you know it's one team. It's all for one, one for all. But I, I had an issue in the military. Um, my my first assignment in the Air Force. I think the last episode we talked about. I my first assignment was uh, in Greece, and so um, I, I had been on base uh, probably for about two weeks. And it's Friday night and I'm in the dorm and I'm doing laundry because most people are out, you know, at the club or whatnot. And I just got there. I really didn't know my way around yet. So I said, well, I'll, I'll do laundry here. So I'm in the laundry. And you know that feeling you get when somebody's watching you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have that feeling like somebody's watching me. So I turn around and this guy standing in the window, this young, young white dude standing in the door. And he's just standing there. And I'm like, hey, man, how you doing? You know, so I go back to putting my clothes in the machine and look around. He's still there. And I said, you know, hey, can I help you? You you lost or what? He said, no, no, I'm fine. OK, so I, I continue on what I'm doing. But the dude never leaves. So finally, I turn around and say, hey, man, is there something wrong? I mean, can I help you? Um, there's plenty of machines here if you want to do your laundry. He's like, yeah. no, no, no. I'm not, I don't want to do laundry. He's like, I just find that it's really strange. I'm like, what's strange? He said, well, you haven't tried to stab me or or shoot me or, or kill me or anything. And I'm like, <laughs> what are you talking about? He's like, well, my mama said that you got to watch uh, color people because that's what they'll do to you. If you're around them, that's what they'll try to do to you. And I'm like, where are you from? He was from some little town in Mississippi. Had never, never been around black people his entire life. He's going by what his mama told him. And I said, well, I haven't tried to do any of those things to you. I said, so I guess your mama's a liar, right? <laughs> He's like, well, I said, yeah, your mama's <laughs> lying because we've been standing here for how long? And I'm putting my clothes in this machine and I raise my hand to do anything to you. He's like, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. So his name was David. Uh, David Whitehead was his name. And uh, for the whole two years that we were there in Greece, David and I became the best of friends, man. I mean, it was like night and day. David wanted to know everything about the culture. Mm -hmm. uh, if we went to the club, David wanted to go to the club. He wanted to learn how to dance. He wanted to learn how to play sports, especially basketball, because I, I was shooting a lot of hoops then. So I take him to the gym and, and, and you know show him how to shoot shoot the ball and everything. And uh, what was really funny, halfway through David's tour, he came to my dorm room one day. Said, "Hey, hey!" Uh, and at, at the time, people call me Ron because that's the military. They call you by your first name, your real name. So he knocks on my door. I said, "Hey, Ron." He said, "What you doing?" I said, "Nothing, man. I'm just chilling, listening to some music." He said, "Well, I got a question for you." I said, well, "What?" He said, "I met this girl." I said, "Oh, okay, okay." She worked in our orderly room, and uh, she was Greek. <laughs> she was Greek girl. And I said, huh? I said, what's your mama going to say when uh, she finds out you're dating this Greek girl? He's like, well, I ain't worried about my mama. He's like, this girl's really nice and everything. So lo and behold, David and this girl end up getting married. 
And uh, a few years later, I was TDY uh, at uh, Montgomery, Alabama. I was at Maxwell Air Force Base, TDY. And who do I run into but David? Several years later, he and his wife still together, got two kids. And uh, David, just his whole mindset changed about, you know, how to deal with people that don't look like him. And um, I I tell people that story all the time because that was like he had never been around anybody black. It scared him to death. But here it is. Now you're around black people. I mean, he was with us everywhere we went. David was the only white dude up in the mix everywhere we went. And it was me, another guy I hung out with. He became best man at Cynthia and I's wedding. Me, him, and a couple other guys. Uh, we hung together most of the time while we were in Greece, but David was always with us, hanging tough, man. So it was really cool to see him transform from not having anything to do with black people to, you know, really just, he became like a brother to us, man. Yeah. Became like a brother. Yeah, it's just humankind, you know, you, you don't know. You, we grow up sometimes and we're taught, you know, kids are taught racism and prejudice. It's not innate, you know, um, so from their experiences, from our experiences, we are taught these things. Yeah. And therefore, and therefore, we're going to pick up what we've been taught because we are only around a limited number of people. You know, and it's, it's like growing up in E-Town or growing up or, you know, most of our lives, we've always been around white people. Yeah. You know, and it's become it's there's many times that. I've walked into some place and I'm the only black person there. And you don't think anything of it. You, hey, you know, you may notice it. Oh, okay. I'm the only black person there. And you just, and you just, everything is normal. And so I don't think I'm not going to generalize for some people. They've never been in a situation where they've been in the minority, you know, like white folks, being in the minority. You know, in Indianapolis here, they have the Indiana Black Expo that takes place every July and so on. And I'll go back to talking about my, my classes. You know, when I first started teaching in Indianapolis, you know, 90% of the kids were white in our township that I, that I taught in. And I'd ask the question, how many of you guys are going to the Indiana Black Expo? And there are hardly any white hands that were raised. And I go, why not? Well, it says Indiana Black Expo. I go, it doesn't mean that you're excluded. It's just called the Indiana Black Expo. You know, you, a lot of things going on. They got a lot of talent shows going on. They got, you know, exhibits to going on. They have conferences that you can go into. You can sit in on public sessions and so on. They always have some type of entertainment at night. So you can do just about anything that you want. And I guarantee you, You're not going to be hurt when you go down there. It's not going to happen. Okay? So one time Alex had one of his friends, a close friend, came over and spent the night. uh, And um, this was a Saturday night. And we said, hey, uh, would you like to go to church with us? He goes, oh, no, no, I don't want to go to church. And Alex said, well, why not? He goes, because I'm going to be, uh, I'm only going to be the only white guy there. (laughs) 
And I'm like, you're going to church. You're, you're going to church. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, you know, the golden rule. Do unto others as others do unto you. You know, I said, it's fine. You're going to be. He's, he could not deal with going to a church that majority of the patrons or the, or the congregation was black. Now, there's white uh, patrons or, or members of the congregation that are there, right. but the majority of the churches is black. And so it's one of those things where he felt so uncomfortable that he could not, could not go to that church. Wow. Of all places, of all places, yeah. church, you know. So we said, uh, okay, well, we'll drop you off, man, and we're getting on right. up to uh, Eastern Star Church. Wow. Yeah, you know, like, like you know, the, the lessons that I got, you know, growing up there in E-Town as a kid was, you know, there you treat people, you treat people nice until it's deemed otherwise, because you 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 never know, you know, um, there there's there's good people that don't look like you. There's bad people that look like you. Like you, right, right. You know, so you you gotta accept people for who they are and get to know them. And uh, like I said, we we you know said we we went to school with a lot of white kids who to this day when I go back to town and I happen to run across them, it's it's like, hey man, how you doing? You know, yeah, yeah. Because that that's how we grew up. And uh, again, those lessons. They transferred to the military because that's how I approach people. I had a lot of white troops that work for me, uh, more more so than black troops. You know, young airmen that work for me. And I had this one young airman. He uh, he got himself in some, into some trouble uh, because he had went over to the to the BX on base and had charged up a bunch of stuff and couldn't pay for it. And so um, he's a two striper, and so. The first sergeant is getting the notices that, hey, you owe the BX X amount of dollars and you you need you're overdue. You need to pay this bill. And so I asked him one night we're on shift. I said, how come you haven't paid your, your bill? And he starts crying. And I'm like, you know, he's young, young, little white airman. I said, what, what are you what are you crying about? He's like, I just don't have the money. I'm just so far in debt, whatever. And I'm thinking, like, you live in the dorm. You eat in the dining hall. Yeah. Where's your money going? <laughs> yeah. Well, he had bought up all this stereo equipment, uh, all this speakers. Uh, I mean, at the time, CD players were coming in. So he was all this electronic gear he had bought at the BX pretty much on credit. You know, mm-hmm. and then you, you know, based upon your rank, you're allowed so much credit. Well, he had went beyond what his credit was. And now it's time to pay back. I said, well, you you know what this means, because if you don't pay that bill, you're probably going to lose a stripe and you're probably going to get Article 15 uh, because, you you know, you're delinquent to the to the to the BX and it's financial issue, blah, blah, blah. I said, how much do you owe? He said, well, I don't know. He said, I tell you what we're going to do tomorrow. We, we, we get off shift. We're working a swing that night. So we got off at 11. I said, tomorrow morning, I want you to meet me at the BX at around 10 o'clock. You get up, meet me at the BX around 10 o'clock. So he shows up and I, I go get the manager of the BX. And I said, uh, this is Airman, my one of my airmen. He owes you guys I don't know how much. We need to find out how much he owes you. She took his ID card, looked it up. And she said, well, this is what he owes. 
and he's overdue by X amount of payments he had made. I said, I'm going to pay his bill. He looked at me like, what? I said, I'm going to pay your bill. And I said to the manager, I said, uh, going forward, I said, anytime he comes in here and he tries to buy something on credit, here's my phone number. You call me. <laughs> you call me because we're not going through this again. He was thankful. He's like, I just didn't think you would do that. I said, why? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Why would you think I would do that? Aren't you one of my troops? I said, I, I wouldn't treat you any differently if, I, if, if you were black or whatever. You're one of my troops. You know, so at times the way the way we people expect us, I think, to act a certain way. And when we don't, Mm -hmm. it throws them into like, okay, what's going on here? You know, (laughs) know? and and, and that's some of that, uh, you know, stereotypes, I guess. I guess they can be called stereotype that there's no way you're going to be nice to me um, because of, of who I am or whatnot. And I'm like, you're one of my troops. I don't care who you are. Uh, I'm going to treat you the same. Um, another story, I, I was I was in Turkey at the time and I was teaching English at this school at night. Once I got off off work, I was teaching English at this school. And the majority of the students at the school, they were college age kids and they were trying to get their English as a uh, second language certificate because they had jobs waiting and they had to get that in order to get these jobs that, that had that were waiting for them. So this particular night, uh, it was like the second night of class, and I really didn't have a lesson plan. So I just said, tonight, we're just going to get to know each other. So I'm going to tell you a bit about me. I want you to tell me a little bit about you. So this one kid raises his hand and he said, I have a question for you. And I said, yeah, go for it. His, and their English was pretty good already. Mm-hmm. And he says, I have a question for you. And I said, what? He said, um, how do you feel about white people? <laughs> I'm like, what? He said, yeah, how do you feel about white people? I said, why do you ask that question? And he said, well, because I've studied about your people and how that you've been treated in America and this and that. He said, I just wonder how you feel. It just blew me away, man. And for the time, I was speechless. I, I didn't know what to say. Yeah. But then I had to hearken back to the lessons that I learned. I said, you know what? I was taught that you treat people the way you want to be treated. And whether they're green, purple, whatever, I'm willing to accept you as you're, you're a human being. You're part of the human family. I'm going to accept you as that until you come at me another direction. But that's how I've dealt with it. I said, I've always tried to tr- treat people the way I wanted to be treated. I was always told, again, as I, as I said, I was told, you know, there's good people and bad people. Some of them may look like you. Some of them may not. And it's up to you to determine you know, who you want to hang around with, the people that are doing something good or the people that are doing bad. And there's a statement out there, there's a a phrase out there that this guy already uses all the time. Just because, you know, we're skin, just because we're skin folk don't mean we're kin folk. You know what I'm saying? It's like, we look alike. It's like, I I, I may not want to hang out with you and do the things you're doing because it might be detrimental to what I'm trying to do. Absolutely. And so I have plenty of white friends. I've always had white friends. Um, our intramural basketball team, I think there were two blacks on the, on our intramural basketball team in the squadron. The rest were white guys. We got along great. After the game, we go back to the dorm, hang out, listen to music, whatever. 
You know, um, I just I, I am open to accepting people as being a part of the human family until it's deemed otherwise. <laughs> yeah. You know, assumptions, you know, when people assume or talk in generalities, you know, that's the thing that bugs the hell out of me the most. <laughs> you know, when someone says, well, all you people do this. I'm like, yeah. who, what, who people, yeah. you know, those those are the things that are that really that bug me and I had to, you know, once again, since I taught for 30 years, taught high school kids, I would always say, don't speak in generalities. If there's something specific that you want to say, you say it. As long as it's not derogatory towards someone else or anything like that, you know, we can talk about that. This is a U.S. history class, you know. It's like one time we were talking about the Second Amendment and you know, at one point in time here in Indianapolis, they had the uh, black black Muslims. And so I said, you know, it's funny that people uh, always want to protect the Second Amendment. But when black folks try to use the Second Amendment, they try to take those rights away. I said, for example, you know, the Black Panthers out in, in, in California, you know, they said, Literally, if you shoot at us, we're going to shoot back. And I said, I'm going to repeat that. If you shoot at us, we're going to shoot back. I said, what do they mean? What do they mean by that? What's happening? Someone says, well, they're, they're, they're a violent group. I said, no, if you shoot at us, we're going to shoot back. And someone goes, oh, that's self-defense. I said, exactly. <laughs> they're not going to take the initiative. But if they're going to protect themselves and I said, lo and behold, as soon as they started using their Second Amendment rights, then California passes a law that takes away their Second Amendment rights. You can't you can't be carrying guns out in the open in in public and so on. And so, you know, today we 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 got all these things about the Second Amendment, but it. The Second Amendment is supposed to be for everybody, except when it comes to serious issues that develop. You know, in our school right in our school right now, they're talking about the state of Indiana. You know, they want to become one of these stand your ground things and they wanted to start arming teachers. And, you know, I'm on the school board and I said, look, I am not going to vote to arm teachers. You know, we have 2,000 employees in, in our school district. There's 16,000 kids in our school district. 16,000 kids in just our school district. And I say, you start arming teachers, then what's going to happen when that kid takes the gun from the teacher? What's going to happen when the teacher can't get to the gun? What's going to happen when the teacher walks out in the hallway and the police are there and they see somebody with a gun? Yep. Are they going to shoot them first? They see a gun. So those are issues that for black folks being armed. Yes, you have the Second Amendment right, but some people can use that as I, it was a threat. Right. You know, I mean, right. that issue that I was threatened as an right. excuse that right. burns my behind also, you know. Yeah. Well, it, it, it harkens back to what happened to Philando Castile. 
Yes. Who this guy is, he's telling the police officer, I have a weapon. I have a license for that weapon. He is exercising his Second Amendment right. I'm telling you. But how do you end up getting killed? I mean, that's what. How do you end up getting killed when you're telling the guy, look, I've got a weapon. I have a right to carry this weapon. It's my Second Amendment right. But you end up dead. That that I never understood that. And so, um, you know, it's as as I, I tell my wife, I told my wife here one day, I said, I'm tired of being black. I am tired of being black, man, because there are days you like you just don't want to deal. You exactly. just want, you don't want to deal, man, because, you know, the, 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 the things that you have to encounter every day, just living um, a lot of people, they don't know that this is this is what it costs, you know, and there are people who are, you know, propagating our culture. Um, you know, you know, wanting to be, you know, maybe like us. But if you had to walk in our shoes for five minutes, you would find out, like, I really don't want to do this, you know, because it, 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 there are days you just like I am tired of, you know, wondering, you know, why don't people like me? Because just simply because the color of my skin, I don't know. And, yeah. it, and, and it's and it's getting really, really bad. Now, I think people are emboldened. I think people are emboldened now by what's going on with our government, um, that they can say and do whatever they want to people of color. And it's going to be, yeah, don't worry about that. It's it's gotten bad. And out here in Colorado, I mean, it's predominantly a white state. I think Colorado is probably 80 percent, something like it might be 80 percent white, might be higher than that. And you've been visiting out here. You you know how it is out here. Oh, yeah. This is a wild, wild west. And this is an open carry state. And so I, not that I'm scared, but I, I'm always like, you know what? Uh, there are times like I don't want to go anywhere. I keep my behind at home, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I just don't I, I just don't like their days. I just like, you know, what? I, I want to be something else today. <laughs> I yeah. want something else today. But and guess so, what? You know, you go ahead. Can't. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't. You can't. And like you say, we're 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 in our early sixties now, and the same crap has been going on for years and years and years. It's somebody's being discriminated against. Somebody's screaming like, "Hey!" Like you say, why why are you checking people's IDs? Why are you checking my ID, but you haven't checked anybody else's ID? Uh, you know, why do you not think I'm good enough to get this job? Why do you think I'm always a quota? Why this or that? It's like it's never going to stop. And the only way I think this is going to come to an end, and this is just my opinion, this is Wayne's opinion, America has to get real about what America is. America needs to get real about its history and really tell your history teacher you were a history teacher and you're probably still a student of history. The history of this country needs to be laid bare so everyone knows that everyone has contributed to the greatness of this country. Black, white, it doesn't matter. Everyone has played a part in making this country great. This country is great. I don't think we need to make it great again. It is already great. But until the story is told as to what made this country the envy of the rest of the world, 
this crap is going to continue because there are factions of people who are going to think they are better than they other people simply because their skin is a different color. And until that happens, th- this crap's going to continue, man. We'll, we'll be 80 still talking about, man, we still dealing with racism and discrimination. And it's sickening. I, I'm literally tired of it. Um, you know, my, my daughter's got to live through this. Uh, she's finding her way. I'm really, really happy. My daughter has a rainbow coalition of friends. <laughs> you know, um, she's got a united nation of friends. And I'm happy for that. My daughter has always been open to people of all different cultures. And that's who her friends are. Her friends are from all across the spectrum. And they all get along. And, you know, the one thing that she's got is you and Cynthia as parents to teach her that. Yes. You know, she's always grown up with that, just like our kids have always grown up with that. You know, because, you know, Lynn and I have always been into education and... Our kids, you know, we when we moved to Indianapolis, we didn't know a soul. And uh, we lived close to where the school was. And I may have mentioned before, I said, there are folks in Indianapolis, you know, they've got, you know, you're not supposed to live on this side of town or you right. live on that side of town and so on. And I said, we've always lived on the south side of town. Well, you know, black folks aren't supposed to live on the south side of town because back in 1968, there was a uh, uh, an encyclopedia uh, sales girl who was going around and she was murdered by, you know, people down in Greenwood, Indiana. So, you know, you're not supposed to live on the uh, south side. And those attitudes are still here today because we have a, you know, I was telling you about I was in Chicago with a fraternity thing. Well, I am one of the chairmen on making new members. And the meetings that we have for new members is on the south side of town. And people go, man, we got to go all the way out to the south side of town. I said, yeah, come on out to the south side of town. I said, you'll like it. I said, traffic moves and gunshots are rarely heard. (laughs) (laughs) So come on and see the south side. I said, our kids are raised up. On the South Side, you know, most of their friends, you know, were black, white, Asian, Hispanics, you know, all, like you said, a rainbow uh, color. And we've never taught them anything different. But we did say this, as I said earlier in the podcast, that if somebody calls you out of your name, don't put up with that. Do not put up with that. You have to either. It's either fight or flight. Yep. Okay. Yeah, we were we we were always, you know, making a point to our daughter that, you know, hey, yeah, you, I'm happy that you've got friends uh, across the spectrum. And, and there were always tons of kids at our house from every hue and, and whatnot. And it was cool because, you know, you find out about their culture. You know, my daughter had a, a little friend who's Vietnamese. They've been friends since kindergarten. And it was cool to learn about Vietnamese culture. And they had a huge picnic. They have a huge picnic in Colorado Springs, uh, the Vietnamese community. And uh, we went to that picnic for years. I mean, and didn't know anybody except her family. But you met a lot of really nice people. And you found out about these people's culture. You know, wow, this is really cool. I've been to a bar mitzvah. I've been to a bat mitzvah. I mean, you know, it's like, wow, this is really cool. And uh, until we get to that point to where we can feel comfortable talking to someone who doesn't look like us 
and find out about what makes this person tick. I, what, what I found, what I found is, and you, you've traveled over the world and we've both traveled pretty extensively over the world. At the end of the day, everybody truly is the same. Everybody has the same needs. Everybody wants the same thing. They want to live in peace. They want to raise their family and they want to, you know, go out and have some fun every now and then. That's that's human. That's the human uh, experience. That's what we're all looking for. But we we can't get beyond this, you know. Well, I got to be back. You you can't do this because you're black and whatever. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. And I, I I tell Cynthia, I tell my coworkers a lot of time. I said, you know, God is probably sitting in heaven laughing and shaking his head like, when are these people gonna figure this out? Out. Yeah. When are these people gonna figure this out? I've given you years and years and years. To get this together and you still can't. So um, I, I, I hope that uh, things do change. I don't know if it's going to be in our lifetime. Hopefully it's my daughter's lifetime and your your son and daughter's lifetime that maybe this racial discrimination, prejudice crap will be put to rest. I, I don't know. I have hope. I think the biggest thing, Wayne, is people have got to talk. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, we've always I'll say that I'm going to use a general term is that black folks has always talked about racism because they've always experienced it. And other cultures, white white cultures don't talk about it because they're afraid that it's going to make black people upset. Well, black people don't get upset because we've always had to deal with it. They just assume that black well, we, we better not say anything about that because it's going to make those make those people upset well no we always talked about it we're comfortable talking about it it's other people that aren't comfortable talking about it because of some weird guilt trip from you know centuries ago and so on it's not all about that you know when you when you have lines of communication that open then things get better it's easier to talk about it than to keep, keep that stuff all stored up inside of you and then you're afraid to just come out and and, and just speak your mind right, you know? right well you know me well you know me i'm always gonna speak my mind i don't i don't care what the hell you're saying I, i'm very reserved you know for the most part but if you take one step too far then i'm gonna speak my mind and i don't give a damn who it is i'm gonna speak my mind too right, right. you know it's just simple, small, simple things that you have to deal with. You know, I was in a, uh, a meeting last week, uh, school board meeting. We we're talking about extracurricular activities. And, you know, as of now, everybody has to come up with a bond to raise money for their school districts and so on. One of the people said, well, we're thinking about building this and we're thinking about building this. And the superintendent said, well, how would people think about that we, we want to build this for this athletic team how would people think about this and i said and i said this in the meeting i said somebody's gonna say this i don't want my tax money to pay for those people yeah and they went oh i never thought about that because you know we have a large burmese population in our township now the burmese i mean their sport is soccer they are some awesome soccer players 
and you know they're talking about building some soccer fields for them. And I said, there's going to be some people in the township that are going to say we don't want to build, put our tax dollars to go towards those people. Yep. I said it's not going to be everybody, but somebody's going to bring that up. And you, as the superintendent, and you as the assistant superintendent, that question is going to come up. So you better get used to it. Better get ready for it. And they yep. said, well, we've never raised that. We've never thought about that question before. And I said, that's why I'm on the school board. You don't know those things. And I can enlighten you on some of those things because I've taught for 30 years. I kind of see things from a different perspective as opposed to being a business person and being on the school board. I was a teacher and a coach, and I'm on the school board. So yep. I have a different perspective on that. But anyway. Yeah, no, it uh, it is absolutely right. And, uh, you know, once once we, you know, put down the, um, you know, the stereotypical attitudes we have about people or, you know, I, at some point I, it's got to break through. Um, and and that, that reminds me of another story. And then we're we're a little bit past the top of the hour. But, uh, you know, you you've known me for years and, and I, I've been DJing for years, man. And that's that's one of the things I grew up doing. And I still dabble in it here or there. But a few years ago, one of my wife's co-workers was getting married. He's, he was a young white guy that she worked with. And he said, yeah, you know, we're getting a wedding together, but we haven't been able to find a DJ yet. My wife said, well, my husband DJs. He's like, he'd, he'd be glad to do it for you. Right away, my wife said his attitude changed. <laughs> so my wife, my wife called him out. She says, "Oh, uh, what, what, wh- what's the attitude? Are, are you, what, what are you trying to say? Are you thinking my husband's gonna show up and play a bunch of mess at your wedding?" Well, well, that's not what I'm. Th-. She said, "Yeah, that's where that's what you're thinking." She's like, "My husband is professional. He's been doing this for years and got all kind of music to cover all kind of situation." She's like, "You should be ashamed of yourself for going there." He said, well, I didn't mean anything. She said, yeah, you did. You stereotyped <laughs> yeah. my husband because you're thinking, oh, he black. He's going to show up and play all this, you know, cursing and all this kind of mess. And my, my yeah, wife's yeah. like, no, he is professional and would do a good job for you. But uh, never mind. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I suggested that. So you you good luck finding a DJ. Yeah. Little yeah. did know that we we grew up listening to all types of music. Grew up listening to everything. 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 <laughs> and did a lot of parties and functions um, for, for white folks in E-Town. And I've been doing stuff, you know, throughout the Air Force. I did a lot of a lot of nights. I was at the NCO club. There wasn't a black person in the NCO club. It was all white folks up in there. And we having a good time, man. Yeah. Um, one of my troops, uh, I was stationed in, in Boston. He's like, hey, um, you know, and I, he, he still called me Sergeant Nelson even when we were off work. He's like, Sergeant Nelson, he's like, I need a DJ for my wedding. He said, would you do it for me? And I said, sure, man. I said, where's it going to be at? He said, it's going to be in Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Vermont? He said, yeah. He said, would you, would you come up there and do it? I'm like, okay. So I tell Cynthia, I said, hey, I, I'm going to go to Vermont and do a wedding. She's like, what? I said, yeah. Like you, I was the only black guy up in there. Only black guy up in there. But you know what? Music bridges all. Uh, it, it covers everything, man. Because right. once music starts and people start having a good time, they don't care if you purple, man. They're having a good time. <laughs> and I, that's one of the biggest things I remember. It's like I'm the only black guy up here in Vermont. 
and these folks are having a good time, and nobody cares that I'm black. All they know is, wow, the music's great, music is good. good time, and they said, hey, can you stay an extra hour? We'll give you an extra <laughs> amount of dollars. And I'm like, hey, I'm good if, if you guys, yeah, yeah. So got extra. I mean, that's that's where we need to get to. We need yeah. to get to that, man. And uh, as like Jesse Jackson says, I'm keeping hope alive. Uh, and, I, and I hope we get there. But uh, it's it's a struggle, man. It is a struggle. Yeah, it's going to uh, continue. Yeah. And I and I can hearken back to, you know, to growing up there in the bottom is like I just everybody was in the same boat. And whether you were black or white, you know, you had what you had. It wasn't a lot, but you had what you had. And, uh, you know, you treated people accordingly. And uh, and that, that's what I remember. And I've taken those lessons you know, out into the world and, and try to treat, treat people accordingly. So good discussion tonight. Very good discussion. We, we can yeah. continue this for a couple of more hours. I do. Oh believe. yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Same thing, you know, Miles street side, you know, we, we grew up, I grew up on there and, and, um, you know, every, everybody right there was, was just hanging in there and our, our parents gave us good values. I think overall E-Town has, has that, built into it is the fact that you know we grew up with friends from all over from all spectrums yep and yeah there were times that we had issues but those were minor compared to way things are going today you know we just you know it was uh, you know once again e-town's a good place to raise kids good place to grow up but after a certain point of time you know it's it's time to roll up out of there you know let 65 take you someplace else (laughs) and uh yeah, and you know our experiences have been good, and we're going to continue to do those. And as we move forward with podcasts, we'll come up with some other topics and see how we how we deal with those topics. Okay, absolutely, absolutely. This was a great episode, and I'm glad to be a part of it. And uh, until the next time, uh, this is across the tracks. So-